I'm B. And I'm Shy. And we're the Pretty Dead. I woke up at 3.30 this morning and uh, could not go to sleep. I had some drinks last night and I woke up and I had the driest mouth. <laughs> it was awesome. I woke up at 3.30 and I'm like, it's the desert in there. Oh my god, yeah. No, I feel <laughs> that 100%. I, I as well had a few drinks and... I mean, okay, so, I mean, like, to fill everybody in, at the time we're recording this, yesterday was Super Bowl. That is so true. We're not is... alcoholics. Well, maybe slightly. I, well, I mean. I, more know. than, like, acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and that would mean today is Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day. Well, what? To all the ominous anonymous out there. Thank you. If you're still listening, anyway, um, we've we've been gone for a minute just a bit but you know now we're back and i mean i've honestly missed it i have too it's it, i literally like i'll come home and be like oh well i should message b and see what she's doing tonight and then you know life and it sucks but it does it, it, mostly it school you know and I've made a big girl decision and I'm not going back. It's been hell. So. Right. But yeah, I'm not going back next fall. I've decided that. Yeah, no, I think that's a good decision. Like if that, if that is like your decision, that is a great decision. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think it's a good idea. So. Yeah, I think so too. What are we going to be talking about today? So today we are going to be talking about, the Cecil Hotel. Ooh, yes, the Cecil. And everyone knows this hotel because it is like the biggest uh, attraction of negative energy. Like, I don't, this place has to be built on some bad soil because holy cow. Yeah, this, is, this, this place has some bad vibes. For real. <laughs> really bad vibes so we're gonna kind of start off um just talking about the like history and like who built it and i might mispronounce names deal with it (laughs) hell yeah hell yeah get back so the cecil hotel um it's as of now it's an affordable housing complex in downtown los angeles but it was opened in december 20th 1924 as a budget hotel <clears throat> sorry I'm, I'm just dying over here like hairball yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay the Cecil was built in 1924 by three hotelers William Banks Hanner Charles L I'm pretty sure it's Dix and Robert H H shops. It was a destination for business travelers and tourists. It was designed by Loy Lester Smith in the Buart style, and it was constructed by W. W. Padden. The hotel cost about one point five million to complete, and boasted in a. It had like a, a big marble lobby with stained glass windows. It had potted palms. It was really pretty. Oh, it was like bougie. 
Yeah, it was. I, think, I think I have. Do they have pictures online of it in the beginning stages? You know, I actually, I, I think they do. I'm not too sure about that. Um, I, I can't remember if I've seen one or not. I do know it hasn't changed. So if you look up pictures, you'll still see like what it was originally. Um, right. I, I know. I know if you go online, you can find pictures of what it, what it looked like and what it still looks like. Now with the reopening recently, I don't know if they like reconstructed everything, but we'll get into that. Okay. So um, they also have like alabaster statuary around. So it's like you walk in and you're like, oh, this is too expensive. I need to leave. <laughs> but jokes, it was actually really dirt cheap because they wanted business and it didn't work out too good for them. So the three hotelers invested about two and a half million into the hotel. And even though they knew that like several similar hotels had been built downtown within the first five years of its opening. Um, however, you know, the, it's the twenties, the great old twenties. And you know what happened in the twenties? The great depression. Yeah, that, that yeah. Great Depression hit pretty hard. <laughs> yep, literally f- within five years of this place opening. So it never really had a chance. No. Um, But yeah, so the Great Depression happened. Such a, a fantastic time. You know, the 20s. It's great. <laughs> um, But even though the hotel was, like, super fashionable and it seemed to really f- be popular throughout the 1940s, um, the many decades beyond the hotel just really declined because the nearby area was begun beginning to be known as Skid Row, and it was in- being increasingly populated with transients. There were about as many ten thousand as there are about as many as ten thousand homeless people that lived within a four mile radius of the hotel. Yeah. That's a and lot. It it really is. That's you Which know, and that's... like in in that kind of like tight knit, you know, like like grouping of people, like people are just you you know, you're you're with all a whole bunch of different personalities. You're bound to get into shit that you shouldn't get into. Right. Well, and not to mention to me, ten thousand people sounds like a lot because you know, where I live right now, I think there's, I'm pretty sure there's about 3,000 and it's a pretty, it's not a big area, but it's spread out. So right. to think there's like, and I feel like there's too many, I'm not a people person. So 10 people is too many people, but yeah, like, I feel that. <laughs> yeah, thinking of all these people within four miles. Oh my gosh, that would be awful. And it'd be scary. So it really mm-hmm. just, it really didn't help the hotel whatsoever. No. And it, as you'll see when you look up pictures of the Cecil Hotel is the advertisement on the right side of the building. It originally had the word monthly on it. And you you can still see it when you look at the picture. You can still see that it says monthly on there. Right. Um, it's because they painted over it with the word daily. So that's like, when you look at it, the daily is a little off. It doesn't look like the rest of the rest of the sign. 
2007, some of the hotel was refurbished after new owners took over. And then in 2011, part of the Cecil was rebranded as Stay on Main with a separate reception area during the day, but with shared facilities, which I don't think really was a good idea. Um, no. And its official website st- was still the Cecil Hotel. So really, they just rebranded it to try to get people to come stay there. But then, you know, they were like, yeah, we're going to rebrand, but you still get to deal with the dangers. Yeah, then that, that doesn't that doesn't change the history of the no. place. But it no. doesn't. No. And just kind of work through this timeline and then we're gonna we're gonna get into some dark stuff (laughs) so for real so in 2014 the hotel was sold to new york city hoteler richard Bourne. it was sold for 30 million dollars which to me is just nuts so to be fair though it could have been sold for a lot more you know, so true. I guess that says something. That is true. <laughs> so his his company did plan to completely redevelop the interior, um, but you know the hotel closed in 2017 for renovation, and the work was suspended indefinitely when COVID hit. So that's that's it's so so cool, so cool. <laughs> it's probably yeah, a good thing though can. because. Who knows what would have happened to those poor workers? What, or right. what they would have found. Holy hell. Uh, <laughs> so in February of 2017, the Los Angeles City Council voted to deem the hotel um, a historic cultural cultural monument. Words are hard. Because it represents uh, the early 20th century American hotel. And because the historic significance of its architectural body. But in the good old month of December, on the 13th of 2021, the Cecil Hotel reopened as an affordable housing complex. It's operated by the Skid Row Housing Trust, and the facility provides <clears throat> provides affordable living accommodations for about 600 low-income residents. Which, I mean, I mean, providing, like, a stable place for people is a good idea what has happened in there is not (laughs) no what has happened in there is awful uh it's it's dark and it's scary and i would i'm just dying slowly um i would also like to point out that the cecil's targeting like the the lower class the homeless the people who can't afford food every day however their apartments are like 900 to 1200 dollars a month that's typical california pricing that's insane like if you're homeless i you're not gonna be able to afford that you know like just straight up you know what i mean because yeah. it, it's, it's hard enough. I mean, because I, I lived in California for a short period of time. It's hard enough trying to get that, you know, like the funding to pay for all of your shit. Because everything is so expensive out there. Which is so crazy to me. Because it's like, I don't even like paying $10 for a shirt. And then I see 
people on TikTok, they're like, look at this great deal I saw at Target in California or whatever they stores they have over there. And it's like a shirt for $30. And they're like, it's so cheap. I'm like, I'd be, I don't know, naked, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Just just run down the street, (laughs) streaking, you know? (laughs) Hey, someone would give me clothes, you know? They'd be like, holy (laughs) shit, put some clothes on. Okay, well, so on that note, we are officially going to talk about some dark stuff. So, you know, grab your puppy, grab your kitty, grab some popcorn, a hot cup of tea, Uh, and buckle the fuck up, because here we go. Oh, yes. (laughs) So our our first documented suicide that we're going to talk about it happened in the evening of January 22nd of 1927. So, I mean, the hotel had a good, like, how many years is that? Three years? Yes. Um, With probably, I mean, I'm assuming there's probably petty crime and whatever throughout, but they had a good three years. And then it just, it just lost it. It lost it all. So, in 1927, Percy Orman Cook, he was 52 years old, and he shot himself in the head. While he was inside his hotel room after failing to reconcile with his wife and child, which is extremely sad. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Like, maybe he was a really abusive guy and that's why. Or maybe she was just really like, nah, man, we done. Who knows? We we don't know. No, and that's just sad. Poor guy. Uh, So... <clears throat> the Los Angeles Times reported that he was rushed to the receiving hospital and he really just had a slim chance of even making it. The death records revealed that he died the same evening. So, I mean, they were right. He didn't, there wasn't much of a chance. Fuck, dude. So, yeah, he, it was, it was dark. Uh, then in 1931, W.K. Norton died in his room after taking poison capsules. So, I know. Like, did he mean to take them? Was he like, oh, Advil? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't even... Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I didn't even think about that. I know. I was like, that, that, you know, that I don't know, you know, because, I mean, normally, you know, murder isn't crossing my mind, but, you know, I just... (laughs) (laughs) To me, everyone is a murderer. Everything could kill me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. Um, what's the word? I'm not incredibly paranoid. Paranoid. Yes, that <laughs> is what I am. I am not paranoid, but I might be slightly. I mean, aren't we all a little bit? I feel like you kind of have to be. You know. You do. Yeah. I mean, it's better to like be on your toes about things you know to like be watchful of your surroundings and right just make sure you're always aware life lessons from b yeah so (laughs) (laughs) so poor mr norton who just tried to pop some advil for a sore back and then no just kidding he it's listed that he was he did commit suicide by ingesting the poison he was only 46 years old so that's sad you know, he, he had a bit much more life ahead of him. Um, a week prior to him doing this, he checked into the Cecil under the name 
under the name James Willis, I believe, from Chicago. 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 So, I mean, it probably was a suicide. He probably just, like, went there and was thinking about it. And then, yeah. I don't know. So, then we go to September 1932. And Benjamin Dodich. Question mark. He was only 25 and he committed suicide by gunshot to the head. A maid found him dead from a self from obviously a self-inflicted gunshot wound and he did not leave a a suicide note. So I mean sometimes I I mean sometimes the people just don't I mean but is I mean like is there more to it than than just that I mean it it may may have been he just like maybe he didn't have any family or something like you know or maybe like he didn't think he really had anybody which is really fucking sad that's so sad right it is so it is sad yeah Yeah. so then we get another two years of some calmness and then july 26 1934 sergeant lewis d borden he was 53 years old and in in that late july in the beautiful cecil hotel (laughs) um the former army medical sergeant he was found dead in his room he had slashed his throat with a razor oh shit yeah which that to me is a fucking extreme borden did leave several notes one of which cited poor health as the reason for his suicide right which, thinking of, like, what soldiers and stuff went through in that time, I assume that he probably, I mean, maybe it's not related to be military, I guess, but it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, just, like, some form of PTSD, probably. Yeah. So, then we move on to March 1937. Grace E. Margot. She was 25. And Margot fell from a ninth-story window. Oh, shit. Yeah. And this is... It's it's dark. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> Words. English. I know them. Uh, her fall. There we go. Her fall was broken. <laughs> I love how you just caught it. It was like it was slowly declining and slowly accepting what just happened. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So, oh, I also, I just realized I'm saying her last name wrong. It's not Margot. I believe it's pronounced. Magro, it's M A G R O, so I think it's Magro, but maybe yeah. something I'm not sure. I'm sure, someone will probably tell us. So, probably, yeah. <laughs> so she fell from the ninth story window of the hotel, and her fall was broken by telephone wires which wrapped around her body. Oh my god, yeah, she That's later died. 
the uh, Georgia Street Receiving Hospital, it is now demolished. So you can't, I'm, there might be like some remains of it, but I'm sure it's, you probably won't see much if you look it up. Uh, the okay. police were unable to determine if her death was actually the result of an accident or suicide. Hmm. Which I kind of, to me, I feel like it wouldn't be suicide because why would you jump into telephone wires? Right. But maybe she didn't think she would jump that far. Maybe she thought she could jump farther. I yeah, there's like a lot, lot of factors to it. So yeah, which is sad regardless. Exactly. So, then we move on to January 1938, and Roy Thompson was 35. He was a United States Marine Corps fireman, which I think is a bougie. That's a pretty cool, like, <laughs> what, what do you do for work? <laughs> Let oh, me yeah. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so Thompson jumped from the Cecil's top floor and was found on the skylight of a neighboring building. So damn that's holy shit holy shit that's a distance yeah so he and he had been staying at the cecil for several weeks so you know there's a lot of a lot of long long haulers here that don't seem to be doing too good right which is really sad yeah in may of 1939 erwin c niblet he was 39 years old and he was a Navy officer, but he was found dead in his room after ingesting poison. Oh, what? what is it with the poison? Right? Yeah. I oh, <laughs> oh, Get ready, because here we go again. January 1940, Dorothy Seger was 45. She was a teacher and she registered under the name of Evelyn Brent. So, yeah, she ingested poison on January 10th of 1940 while she was at the hotel. And it was reported by the Los Angeles Times to be that she was near death. So beforehand, Seeger sent her relatives a note indicating that she was going to end her life, which I think is really sad and her poor family. Right. Yeah. Dorothy eventually um, started to succumb to the effects of the poisoning and passed away at General Hospital on January 12th of 1940. And I can only imagine what her poor body went through in those two days. Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure ingesting poison probably... I mean, it's obviously, like, sometimes it's probably fast, and then other times, you know, if they pump your stomach, which I guess I don't know when they started pumping stomachs, but... Yeah, I, if if she, if she had to go all throughout like the process, like you have to go through like these days, it would have been a rough, rough experience, and maybe even rougher like back then. I don't know. Right. Hopefully, she's not dealing with any of that now, because poor thing. So right. then we move to September 1944. This one is kind of a controversial, uh, uh event i suppose i feel like events the wrong word but we'll just go with it um a lot of people see it one way other people see it another way and you know if you're listening we'll make a post on instagram and tell us what you think about it in a nice way don't be don't be disrespectful so september of 1944 dorothy jean purcell was 19 
Um, Purcell was sharing a room at the Cecil with her boyfriend, who was a shoe salesman, and his name was Ben Levine, I do believe. And let's just take a gander at his age. He was 38. So almost 20 years older. And I know, like, age gaps back then seemed to be a little bit more popular. But to me, that's it's kind of a bit of extreme. Right, yeah. But I'm not dissing. I mean, I'm not dissing. Love is love. Yeah, exactly. I mean, love is love. So, I mean, as, as long as they were happy. Right. Know, if, it just, if they were happy. like I have a lot of deep thoughts about this case. And, like, the age gap kind of, like, feeds into I don't I'll I'll talk about it in a second. Yeah. So, Dorothy had been pregnant and she had no idea about it she didn't know she was pregnant and then she went into labor while they were at the hotel um she later did testify that she didn't want to disrupt the sleep her sleeping boyfriend which i think is strange yeah and that that sounds suspicious (laughs) right so she went to the bathroom where she gave birth to a baby boy yeah she thought the baby was dead so she threw him out of a window and he landed on the roof of an adjacent building oh my god the baby was not dead well actually i can't i can't say that i don't i don't know if it was ever proven if it wasn't dead or if it was a lot like i don't know if it if it was proven one way or the other I do think it was believed to have been alive, obviously, until it got chucked out a window, but I'm not too sure. Right, yeah. Uh, Dorothy was charged with murder, but three psychiatrists testified that she was mentally confused at the time of the incident. And in January of 1945, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. So just, just to, like, defend myself, I guess, about the whole, like, age thing. And my red flag was when she didn't want to disrupt her sleeping boyfriend because and the age gap, like, I don't know. To me, it just sounds like maybe he wasn't super nice and she, she knew that waking him up would be bad. Like maybe that's why she threw her baby out the window. She didn't want the baby to deal with him. I don't know. I don't know the situation. I wasn't there. So, but I do think it's really sad and I I don't know. It's a very controversial thing. You I have I see it a lot when I'm reading about this place. Right, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, that one that one is that one is absolutely tragic. <laughs> it is. It's it's awful and I mean to be completely honest too, I mean back in the 40s I can't imagine that her mom was very upfront with like, "Hey, so when you get pregnant, this is what's going to happen or exactly. you know like i, I feel think, like that stuff was kind of closed out more yeah i would say there were a lot of factors into it and you know none of which we will ever know but right. like i mean you know maybe her maybe her boyfriend was abusive or you know maybe it was just like you know she didn't want to wake him like for you know maybe maybe he had to work or something or something like that like i don't know there could have been a lot of reasons why because things like the mindset was kind of different on things back then right so yeah well and honestly like how 
she couldn't have been I mean maybe she was quiet about it but I mean an all natural birth holy cow yeah like, that me, would that would have... put you in shock <laughs> yeah and uh and especially I, not not knowing you know like that you're pregnant you know right and then all of a sudden like here's a kid and in her in her state I mean it's just her boyfriend they're not married she's only 19 he's 38 if he doesn't want the kid he can just leave her and then she's sol yeah well in that time men are likely to be like oh you have a kid sorry we like people without kids even though they probably have seven themselves but yeah (laughs) (laughs) i digress I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with the age gap because, I mean, that can obviously happen at any age. But, like, just for, like, the times and the the situation given, maybe it could have been an issue. It may have been an issue, but who knows? Nobody knows. Right. And I wish we did because I'm really, like, baffled by this incident, you know? Right. But... Yeah, I don't know. So, but then we're so we're gonna move on to November of nineteen forty-seven. Robert Smith died after he jumped from one of the Cecil's seventh-floor windows. Damn, and that's that's another like. Well, I mean, I guess the other one wasn't confirmed accident or you know, suicide, but right. There's a lot of window jumpings, and yeah, it's just see, it, there's there's consistent patterns with this place that just i don't know right like like the poison and i guess (laughs) jumping out windows was probably popular because it was kind of like a quick one and done but right which i guess that sounds like i'm being inconsiderate i'm not being inconsiderate but if you look at it you know if you jump out a window you're gonna die so there's no doubt that you're not and even if yeah, I know. That's I guess that's probably a touchy subject. But so we're gonna move to October twenty second of nineteen fifty four. So we get they had a good run here, you know, forty seven to fifty four. They had they almost had, had ten years. years. Yeah. yeah, so got close. a decade on them. Yeah. So Helen Gurney was fifty five. She was a San Francisco stationary firm employee, and she jumped from the window of her seventh floor room and landed on top of the Cecil's Marcu. I don't know if that word, I don't know if that word is right. Don't know. I think, is it Marquis? Yeah, it's, it sounds more like Marquis. <laughs> Glad someone's smart here. <laughs> I, it's like I can't I can't see it, so I'm not sure if that's what it is. <laughs> no, I, I think it is Marquis. I don't know. One week prior, though, she registered at the hotel under the name of Margaret Brown. Lots of, like, name changing. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I guess it makes sense. But at yeah. the same time. It, it, it makes sense, but it's the fact that it's happening at this place. And it's so consistent. <laughs> we are going to move on to... See, this is another good time gap. February 11th of 1962. So they, you know, they started to get into like, well, either they just weren't documenting what was happening or they like, people were like, oh, maybe we want to live. You know, it's not the 40s anymore. 40s were rough, apparently. Well, actually, that would make sense. 40s was a rough era. 
It was, yeah. It was that was terrible. Whole, that whole time frame was just really rough. Yeah. Okay, so February 11th of 1962, Julia Frances Moore, she was 50. Moore jumped from the window of her eighth floor room and landed on a second story, a second story, second. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't say that right. Okay, hold on. I'm going to restart that part. Okay. Okay, (laughs) So. Julia Moore, she jumped from the window of her eighth floor room and landed in a second story interior light well. Ugh. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, no, that that sounds awful. I am cringing and I am cringing hard. Oh god. <laughs> so <laughs> She did not leave a suicide note, and among her possessions was a bus ticket from St. Louis. 59 cents and change, and an Illinois bank book showing a balance of $1,800. Oh, okay. Which is quite a bit of money. Yeah, for back then, yeah, that's quite, yeah. That's quite a bit. Interesting. So, then we go to October, yeah, 62. Here we go. Uh, October 12th, 1962. Pauline, I believe it is Utten, and George G Gian we're just gonna call him G. George G. George G. Yeah, because I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Sorry, man. So Pauline was 27 and George was 65. This one is also really, really, really tragic. So Utten jumped Pauline. Pauline jumped from the window of her ninth floor room after an argument with her estranged husband, Dewey. He had left the room prior to her suicide. He wasn't in there. Like, he didn't push her out. Right. Uh, Pauline landed on a pedestrian. That pedestrian was George, who was 65. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it killed them both instantly. Yeah, it would. Since there were no witnesses, police initially thought that they committed suicide together. But it was soon determined that George had had his hands in his pockets at the time of his death, and he mm-hmm. was still wearing shoes. If yeah. he would have jumped, his shoes would have probably fallen off during the fall or on impact, and his hands would not have been in his pockets. Damn. That- Which, I mean, for the time, like, that's a good observation. You know, that's, like, that easily good. could have been put as a double suicide, but they were like, nah, man, his hands are in his pockets. Yeah. So... And you know, he, he maybe he's wearing like a socks and sandals deal. Like maybe that's how the shoes would have fallen off. You know what I mean? Socks and sandals. Remember that song in middle school? Sorry, ADHD brain. <laughs> okay, so I have not heard that song. <laughs> I was just going along with real? the. I'm just going along with the tune to you, dude. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'll send you it. I'll send it to you. It's great. It was a <laughs> iconic time. So poor. Like, I can't imagine being 65-year-old George, who pr- I I guess I didn't dig into his life much, but, like, if he had a wife, like, if I was his wife, I'd, I'd be, I'd be like, what, what, people just falling on people? Like, yeah, like, <laughs> which I know Pauline obviously didn't purposely fall on him, but it, it's awful. It's so sad. It's so sad. Yeah, it's like still like you know two lives were lost, and it's just it's 
it's really, really tragic. It is. And poor Pauline. I mean, to have that argument and just, like, see it as that's the only way out. Mm -hmm. It's so tragic. The whole... It really is. Terrible time. So, then we're going to go to June 4th. Sorry. June 4th of 1964. And I'm probably going to mispronounce her name. I believe it is Jacqui B. Ellinger. I think it might be Jackie. So then we're going to go to June 4th, 1964. Jackie V. Ellinger. She was 29 and she was known as the Pigeon Goldie. Osgood. Oh, Oh. no. (gasps) I'm so sorry. That was wrong. Okay. Restart. Restart. I can't understand my own words. (laughs) So June 4th of 1964. A hotel worker discovered Osgood, also known as Pigeon Goldie, who was 65 years old. She was a retired telephone operator. The worker found her dead in her room. Trigger warning. She had been raped, stabbed, and beaten, and her room was completely ransacked. Oh, shit. Yeah. So... Yeah. Goldie was really well known around the area and had earned her nickname because she fed birds in the nearby Pershing Square. Mm-hmm. Near her body was, this is really sad, near her body was the Los Angeles Dodgers cap that she always wore and a paper sack full of bird seed. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So she was probably just like on her way to feed some birds. It's like doing her it thing, doing her thing, wearing her lucky cat, lucky lucky cap, and you know, just yeah, to, you know, live her life. Yeah, and then hours after her murder, I Jackie, I believe Ellinger was seen walking through Parish Square in bloodstained clothing. Okay. Yeah. He was arrested and charged with Goldie's murder, but was later cleared of the crime, and the murder remains unsolved. Damn. All right. Yeah. It's... But to me, like, okay, you probably saw her there, and you followed her, and you killed her, and then you left, and you're a sick fuck, so then you went back to where she always went. I don't know. But maybe he, maybe he just, like, Maybe he found some bloodstained clothing. I mean, if he was homeless, maybe maybe he found it in an alley and the killer dumped his clothes. I don't know. Could have been, you know. That's just another one that we're all left wondering, and it's terrible. So now we move on to December 20th of 1975. This person, this woman is still unidentified. Which is crazy to me, but who knows? Um, She jumped from her 12th floor window onto the Cecil's second floor roof. She had registered at the hotel on December 16th under the name is Allison Lowell and was staying in room three, was staying in room 327. Interesting. Okay. Keep on reading. Did you hear knocking? (laughs) I didn't actually. Okay. See, like, I, I wondered, like, what was, like, 
because like you you kind of paused and I was like I I thought the audio had cut out for a second and then when you came back it was like is something is something oh. happening? Yeah, no, <laughs> like, I, tell me what's happening. <laughs> I thought I heard knocking, but maybe maybe I'm just crazy. Well, yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, uh, so September first, nineteen ninety-two, the body of an African American man was found in the alley that behind the Cecil, and police said that he had either fallen, jumped, or been pushed out of the fifteenth-story floor. He was believed to be 20 to 30 years old, but is unidentified. Damn. I don't know. That just, mean, like, yeah. I mean, that's, like, terrible. Like, I hate that these people are unidentified. Yeah, I know. The, like, the, the tragedies are terrible, and then, you know, the fact that they are still unknown. Like, that, that's crazy. Right? right? Yeah, it's it's terrible. So, okay. Okay, so February 19th of 2003, we go to a case that probably everyone has heard about. It's Elisa Lamb. She was 21 and possibly died of an accidental drowning, but we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper later on. So I, we will cover that a little bit more soon. Um, so the final thing so far, I'm not gonna, not gonna jinx it. June 13th of 2015, the body of a 28 year old man was found outside the hotel. Um, he may have committed suicide by jumping from the hotel, although a spokesperson for the county coroner informed the Los Angeles Times that the cause of death had not been determined. And so far, this has been the last reported death of stay on Maine aka Cecil Hotel as of 2022. So Well, that's positive. It's it's positive, but um your girl was doing some TikTok digging and there is a guy who lives across from the Cecil and he likes to put updates on. I can't think of his name right now, so sorry, but I'll I'll give you a shout out without a name, I guess. Anyway, <laughs> so he lives across from the Cecil and he likes to He'll, like, document a few things every now and again and whatever. Well, he he was attempting to get into the Cecil, and, like, the security were, were super rude. They were threatening him, actually, which is not good. So he went back. He was up in his apartment, and I, I don't think it was the same day. Like, that's just kind of a weird thing I thought of. And then he posted a video of smoke coming out of a room, an ambulance, a fire truck. And he was like, Oh, that's not good. Like, no, that's probably not good. So yeah, it, it really seems like the Cecil's having a rough go right after opening again, because I think they just opened, uh, not, too, not too long ago, I think, but what did I say yeah, earlier? No. I think it was December. Yeah. It hasn't been that long at all. Yeah. And so, that's that's it if you i will say if you can find him on tiktok he um his uh cecil videos are pretty interesting so if you guys want to know more about that stuff just find him he's a redhead tall and most of his videos are of him and his mom so he's super funny but um yeah so that pretty much wraps up the tragedy on my end so I think B is going to go ahead and start with her 
her in-depth tragicness. All right. And, you know, my in-depth tragicness involves with the murders. Moida. Moida. All right. So where should I pick off that? You know, should I start at, you know, the most recent or should I jump all the way back? I think I think you should jump all the way back. Okay, let's do that. Let's let's start from the somewhat beginning of, you know, a you know, rather in-depth list of murders. Okay. So in September of 1989, now this this isn't exactly the, this time right now that I am talking about. September of 1989 isn't exactly when it happened. You know, not what I'm about to talk about, but the fact that we're not starting from the beginning. So, but this is the beginning. All right. And I'm only going to briefly talk about, I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to go on a little bit of a fucking rant, but you know. Anyway, in September of 1989, Ramirez was found guilty of 13 counts of murder, 11 sexual assault, and 14 burglaries. And he was sentenced to 19 death penalties. Now, Richard Ramirez, I'm sure you guys have all heard about him, which we will do a more in-depth research on him later and, you know, talk about all of his very awful shit. Because... There's just too much to cover in just this episode alone. But that is what he did. And he just basically terrorized, you know, the streets of L.A., you know, throughout the 1980s. He's not not a very, not a very nice guy. No, not at all. Santa gave him all for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was a good one. All right. Now the next one, and I have heard, I've just, you know, like heard like on various sites from what I've read that this guy kind of like idolized Richard Ramirez in a way, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, But Jack Unterweger was born on August 19th, 1950 in Judenberg, Styria, Austria to Theresia Unterweger. And some sources had claimed that his mother was a sex worker. Now, that pertains to this case. Um, or, like, to his story. Because... Right, like, like, you're not dissing them or anything, you know? Exactly, exactly. No, you know, that that is not at all. But... Yeah, right. Yeah, she was arrested for fraud while pregnant with Unterweger, but was released and she traveled to Graz, where she had Jack. She was arrested again in 1953, where he was sent to live with his grandfather. Jack made claims that the time spent with his grandfather was abusive, but no one can be for sure about that. But some of the stuff that I have been, you know, like that I have read about it, it was likely that it wasn't the best environment for an impressionable young boy. Yeah, I I can't see that it would be. So yeah, because like I I've read that you know he might have been an alcoholic and you know some like of the some of the closer sources you know say that you know he wasn't he wasn't the best of guys. 
Like, how old but, was he when he was an alcoholic? Are you saying he was an alcoholic, like, as a child, or? Are you talking like, about his grandfather? Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry. I, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was okay. like, yeah, no, um, because Jack, as a young boy, was sent to live with his grandfather. Okay. I'm so sorry. I, like, confused myself. I don't know how I just. Oh, yeah. You're, you're good. Okay. okay um, so. He spent his teenage years in and out of jail primarily for sexual assault, which, you know, it it isn't good. And that's where I say kind of like his mother's past kind of ties into, you know, how he tried to play things and like kind of how he goes about doing his fucked up shit. Um in December of 1974, Unta killed 18-year-old Margaret Schaefer in a pattern that Unta would repeat again and again. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. He murdered Schaefer by strangling her with her own bra. Oh, my which, God. How sick can you be? That's awful. Yeah. That's I mean, it, it would have been awful regardless how he did it, but that's just like... Yeah, it's just like oh. that is that's that's just so you know like personal. Yeah, it's like it you know. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's fucked. But he was soon caught and tried to explain away his actions during his trial. He claimed that he had seen his mother's face in Schaefer's eyes as he killed her. If Unterweger thought that would elicit sympathy to the court, he was wrong. Um, he thought he 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 said basically that because you know he saw his mother's eyes, you know, when he looked into her eyes, that because he had been abandoned by his mother in his youth, that you know he basically had this this thing against sex workers so he's basically trying to do like insanity kind of like is that what you mean like he sees his mother in her eyes so that would be like he's taking out all his aggressions and like because to me that sounds like insanity yeah well i mean which i I don't think he was i think he's just an asshole right yeah he's just trying to to gain the sympathy of the court yeah, that makes sense. You know, that because he, he went through this, that he's doing this because of this, and, you know, n- no. Just, just shut up. <laughs> what? What did you say? I said, I said funny, no one cares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you kill people, Carl, that's not right. You, Carl, you can't kill people. The lovely couple from 32B. Once behind bars, uh, something profound happened to Unterweger as he began to write poems, plays, and autobiographies. And I, I, I say profound as a quote-unquote sense. Um, so... In 1985, a campaign to pardon and release Unterweger from prison began. Um, okay, so the Austrian president at the time, I can't, it's Rudolf uh, Kirchschlager. 
I'm going to say that. I don't know if it's right or not, and I apologize. Refused the petition when presented to him, citing the court-mandated minimum of 15 years in prison. Uh, writers, artists, journalists, everybody began, you know, trying to get him on this pardon. And Why were they so set on getting him pardoned? Because when he wrote these things, you know, people, like, he had claimed that he had changed. And people believed that they saw a change in him. You know, that he he was he was rehabilitated and you know but anyway Unterweger was released on May 23rd of 1990 after after the required minimum of 15 years of his life term upon his release his autobiography was taught in Austrian schools and his stories for children were performed on Austrian radio oh my gosh I mean, this motherfucker is, like, getting his, you know, like, shit read to children. You know, what the fuck? That is so fucked up. Yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, like, if if he had, I mean, which we'll get into it, but if he had actually changed, then, you know, great. Right. But what happens later on, which I'll get into, it, he, he didn't change. <laughs> Unterweger himself hosted television programs which discussed criminal rehabilitation, and he worked as a reporter for the public broadcaster ORF, where he reported on stories concerning the very murders for which he was later found guilty. So he's just out killing people and then reporting about it? Well, I mean, he's talking about his his life. His life in the sense that he, okay. Okay, I don't know. I don't know why I can't like grasp him. I don't know. I I don't know if it's because I just like. I don't know. Okay, I see what you're saying. Oh yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> it, it's like he he's talking about the the murders that he was found guilty for. He's talking about that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Saying that you know he changed and like basically that he's not going to do those anymore but that that's bullshit but anyway uh, <laughs> resume <laughs> okay uh law enforcement later found that he had killed seven or more people in austria in 1990 in the first year after his release oh my gosh he like he yeah. he knows no chill he's like i'm out okay you think I changed? Oh. Yeah, I know. It's really fucked up, dude. <laughs> oh, God. He didn't even try. He didn't even he didn't. try. He didn't. He just got out and immediately he was like, I'm just going to do this again. You know, he just, he did it again. So. That's awful. He was able to like wrap everybody around his finger and get what he wanted to because he was he was really popular you know in that scene at the time so so crazy now this next part is going to be where he stays at the Cecil and this is where he kind of like he just wrecks havoc on 
the prostitutes that are in Los Angeles at the time. Oh. And the fucked up thing about this is is that he was sent by he he was he was basically sent down to um write about crime in Los Angeles and the differences between and attitudes towards prostitution. So he met local police and he participated in a ride along in the city's red red light districts. So all while he is under this facade of trying to, you know, find out what is what what's happening to, you know, make, you know, the or you know like ha- cause these women to, you know, become prostitutes or you know trying instead of trying to bet the situation for people he kills three sex workers and this is going to be a trigger warning this is like a big trigger warning um so if you guys don't you know this this is going to be bad so just go on if you don't want to hear it um during Unterweger's time in Los Angeles, three sex workers, Shannon Exley, Irene Rodriguez, and Peggy Booth, were beaten, sexually assaulted with tree branches, and strangled oh. with their own cross. Oh my gosh. Oh, no. Yeah. No. That is... What um, the fuck? That is foul and despicable. What the... So I... The, wah. I have no words. I have no words. What the fuck? Yep. And the, you know, bra strangulation was very consistent in a lot, if not. Well, I don't, I haven't, I haven't quite read if it was in all of the murders, but it was a very consistent pattern, especially because it connected, you know, with, you know, Margaret Schaefer, you know, because that was the same way. Right. He murdered her. But anyway, by this point, enough bodies had piled up that Unterweger was beginning to attract the attention of authorities in Los Angeles. (laughs) So police in Los Angeles matched the timeline of the prostitute murders with Unterweger's stay in the city. Then Unterweger fled from the U.S. to Switzerland, then Paris, then back to Miami, where he would finally be caught. Um, it was in Miami where authorities finally caught up with Unterweger and arrested him in February of 1992. In why the would end, he go to Miami? What? So why would he go to Miami? To Miami because the FBI caught him by convincing him they were reporters from Success Magazine ready to pay him $10,000 for the chance to hear his story. So, you know, oh. he, he, was, he thought he was going to get a little fame, you know, a little, little cover story. And Untevager took the bait. And he, he walked into a room filled with U.S. Marshals. I, I applaud to them. I oh, applaud yeah. to them. And I nice. am grateful for his... His ego stupidity. and his yeah. stupidity because, wow, wow. Like, you're a fucking idiot, but thank God you are, you know? <laughs> thank goodness you're a f- you just fall for some stupid shit. Yeah, exactly. Um, but 
Although his crimes earned him a second life sentence, he would not live to serve this time and was found hanging from a curtain rod in his jail cell the the day after his sentencing, dead of an apparent suicide. What a fucking coward. Yeah. Like, to the fact that you can't face your responsibility of the... Or you can't respect... You can't face the responsibility and consequence of your action. Exactly. And, like... Which, I mean, it's good he's gone. He can't do this to anybody else. But it doesn't... I don't know. It just doesn't leave a way of justice. Right. For anybody. I mean, and I kind of find it uh, interesting that he hung himself after he would uh, strangle his victims with their bras. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I kind of... I kind of, not like a symbolic thing, but I find it interesting because I wonder if he had a thing with that. I mean, obviously he had a thing with it, but like even for himself, you know. But I guess in prison, how many ways can you kill yourself? Probably just so. Yeah. Well, that was intense. That was really intense. I can't believe he fled. To these different countries. Do you know if while he was in these other countries he committed any murders or was he only there briefly and would like bounce back and forth? I haven't read about that, no, but I I wouldn't be surprised, but also, you know, he was on the move. So but he he very well could have. I, I just haven't read it and I don't know. So Gotcha. Okay. What I'm saying is just speculation. <laughs> right. Um, Elisa Lam was a young Canadian tourist traveling by herself around America. On January 26th of 2013, Elisa Lam arrived in LA. She had come by Amtrak train from San Diego and was headed to Santa Cruz as part of her solo trip around the West Coast. So this trip was supposed to be a getaway from her studies at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, where she was originally from. So, um, I believe that in the, in the documentary that is on Netflix about, what is it? The, the whores at the Cecil or something like that. I I think it's the vanishing at the Cecil, I think. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. The vanishing at the Cecil. So from that one, you know, her, she had a blog where she was like, you know, posting like her her experiences with the trip and just how things were going and what she what she basically wanted in life and stuff like that and you know like her family had been checking in with her you know so her family had been wary of her traveling by herself but she was determined to go to you know go by herself you know get a get a trip and just have have some fun you know which is insane to me because i mean so i mean i want to travel don't get me wrong but i don't want to travel alone and that could be because i have extreme anxiety or oh yeah like i just i don't know i mean props to her for like doing that like that i think it's amazing that she's able to do that but it's exactly like i I find it terrifying, at least for her family. Like, her family, I'm sure, was concerned, but... Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. I, wow. 
the um as a, as a compromise actually uh alisa made sure to check in with her parents to let them know that she was okay so you know they they constantly they they knew that she was all right and that she was responding and you know all of that stuff i guess that's good then yeah um and it struck her parents really odd when they didn't hear from her on january 31st the day she was scheduled to check out of her la hotel the cecil so when do you know how long she stayed there oh hold on a second actually that's uh, well, if she was supposed to leave on the 31st, she would have stayed for about a week. So, I mean, I think she, no, her, her intention was to stay there for almost a week, is what it's looking at, you know, obviously before she died. Right. It's just another one of those long-term stays that unfortunately turned indefinite. Yeah. You know, like we talked about earlier, so. Right. Um like her parents eventually contacted the the LAPD and the police searched the premises of the Cecil but couldn't find her uh now I know we all know about this this video uh before her her confirmed death security footage showed that she was behaving in a really odd manner and looking distressed and anxious in the footage so by the time that they released the video um no what was i gonna say hold on a second by the time that they released the video like they were already in active search for her so um lamb was said to have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder which could have explained her odd behavior at the time of the video, especially if she had stopped taking her medication, which I, I believe also was in that, that Netflix documentary was that, you know, I think her sister or somebody said that she had stopped taking her medication. And actually I think it was in the autopsy report. Yeah. They, uh, I remember they talked about it and they tested to see what, like how much of her medication was in her system and it was less than half of what she should have been taking. Yeah. So, so that means they, she would have had to have cut down. Yeah. And uh, they speculated that she was cutting down throughout her trip and that because of the so little that she was taking, I think they, I want to say they said that she hadn't taken it for three days, but I could right. be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But I do I do remember that they talked about how that was less than half of what she should have been taking and that could have caused her to obviously act out in such a different manner. Right, yeah. Um, So her missing persons report would, you know, gain a lot of attention and they brought in a party of sniffer dogs and when she was was found, uh, her death was ruled an accidental drowning toxicology screens showed no foul play such as murder rape assault or drug use now the thing that i find um unsettling about this is the way that it initially had been brought to their attention 
that something was a little off. Now, uh, on the 19th of February, Elisa's body was discovered in the water supply tank on the roof of the Cecil Hotel. After guests had complained about the tap water having a funny taste, dark in color, and low pressure. No, no. I can't even imagine. (laughs) I, if I would have been staying there and I would have figured out why my water was tasting funky, I think that I, oh, I don't know. I just would have left a, you know, one star review on Yelp. That's for sure. (laughs) For sure. For sure. (laughs) I mean, that's awful, but you know, uh, yeah. Um. So, on February 19th, two weeks after the video was published by authorities, maintenance worker Santiago Lopez found Elisa Lamb's body floating in one of the hotel water tanks. Lopez made the discovery after responding to the complaints. So, that's that's what happened with her. So, you know, it's, it's neither, it's not, I mean... It's technically confirmed that, you know, she, it it was, it was an accidental drowning. So. There's so many, my, the thing that has bothered me since I started looking into this case and listening to it and everything. Well, one, I think it's strange that, um, so she was going to school for what is the illness uh, it's not typhoid. Is it typhoid? No. What was it that everyone was get uh, bronchitis? I am not sure. Honestly, I can't remember. I remember it, it was in the uh, in that that documentary. I remember it being in that too. Yeah, because they talked about. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. Because they talked about the 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 Lamalisa thing, right? Yeah, the Lamalisia, and then it was uh in the area people were getting sick tuberculosis that's the one okay so what i thought was weird was the i i believe it's the place she was going to school it was like a a tuberculosis unit Mm -hmm. like they like worked on it or something they did something with it whether she had direct contact with it i'm not for sure but uh What's weird to me is back in like the, I want to say it was in the 90s sometime when the TB test came out, it was the Lamb Alicia, I believe is how they said it. So it was like a little bit different, right? but I was way off it. It's 1971. Sorry. Oh, shit. So in 1971, the Lamb Alicia tuberculosis test was invented. Then we have. Elisa Lamb, weird connection, also who goes and works with tuberculosis people. Like, okay. So I actually have a little theory for this. You know, this is just my opinion, but you know, I mean, she may have just went to study it just because it had her name in it. You know what I mean? Oh, like she's she's like, oh shit, I'm gonna study this because I find you know I find the subject interesting and it also has my name, so why not? That's true. 
Yeah, that 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 could have very well. I was just like thinking about that. You know, I'm like, because you think of it like a young girl, you know, like, I mean, if we see our name on anything, we're just kind of like, that's my name. Or just anybody really like, you know, like, that's my name. (laughs) For real. I mean, they even have keychains, you know? Yeah. See see your name on a keychain. You're like, oh, my gosh. Exactly. Nice little necklace or something. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and then after she was found in the water tank, uh, there was a lot of tuberculosis outbreaks in the area. And now that's weird. Yeah. So, and I would assume it's from people drinking, you know, dead body tea, but oh, who knows? <laughs> drinking the dead man tea. The dead man tea. Corpse tea. Could be corpse yep. tea. But... <laughs> Uh, so I but I don't know that's like the one thing that has been really weird to me the whole time and then I know the scent dogs went to the window of one of the floors and followed her scent there but then they couldn't find mm-hmm. her scent anywhere on the roof yeah so, I, which I remember that too no. I mean how how long did it take them to do an initial search wasn't it a couple days I don't know about that because I I don't I don't exactly have that in my notes, but oh okay, I think it, well, it I think it took some time. Um, okay, because I was gonna say I mean there's a lot of factors outside, and I guess I don't know how long a scent sticks around, but like right. if it was raining or if it could get washed away, I could assume that maybe the dogs didn't pick up on it on the roof. I don't think there was foul play in her case. But I do find it interesting that the there was a door to lead onto the roof and there was an alarm that would go off if a key wasn't turned or something like that. The mm. alarm never went off. Yeah. It's it's just like the whole situation is really weird. But my my theory is ultimately that she probably like accidentally killed herself. Um because judging by you know just the just like her behavior and you know some of the things that the other tenants of the place you know had talked about in that documentary was like that she had been acting really really strange so I think she may have had an episode and and unfortunately like she just you know she did what she did yeah, I think so too because her roommate, because she was living in the lower, like the cheaper rooms, mm-hmm. uh, I believe said that there she had that Elisa had been writing sticky notes about, right. uh, like leave now or something like it's, which to me yeah. makes it it sounds like she probably had a mental, uh, I don't want to say a mental break, but I think that she definitely had a mental. Uh, episode and then you know I would say you know probably like just like the stress from like flying and the trip and all of that stuff and like something that she wasn't used to kind of like it took a toll on her in a way you know like yeah she was probably excited about it and like you know she was having a good time with it but you know flying is rough and um, yeah just like so much you know like culture shock and change will you know like 
it can play on your body and your mind. So yeah, for sure. I think you know that that's probably what caused her to get behind on her medicine, and she didn't have anybody there to help her because she was all by herself. So I think it just it ended in a really like tragic fate. So, yeah. Yeah, I I think so too, and I I think there's ways it could have been prevented, but at the same time, I think regardless, no matter how or who prevented it, I think that it probably would have happened eventually. Right. Not not in the same case, but I think that something would have happened. Yeah. But any hoodle, are we done? I think so. I think that wraps up our Cecil adventure. Our little chills at the Cecil. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I am going to keep looking at the updates of the Cecil and seeing what crazy shit happens now that it's open again. And I, I think that we'll hopefully we can give you guys some good updates like hey like this lady got married there or someone won the lottery there or something you know something good happening yeah hopefully or maybe we might pop back and give an update of yeah someone died again but it's like here we go again what time is it oh yeah death (laughs) Yeah, yeah and honestly i think after doing so much research i'm definitely gonna go and watch the american horror story season hotel because they based that loosely off of the Cecil so yeah now see I've watched like the first three episodes of that one I think but unfortunately I haven't finished it mainly just because I start watching something else but yeah (laughs) yeah I did the same thing actually so all right well you spooky creepy bitches we will see you next time Yeah, let's stay spooky. Sparkly. And ominous. Catch you later. Bye.